0: You're listening to All The Best. I'm Helena Baroni peters I grew up in a pretty sleepy suburban town, where extraordinary occurrences were few and far between. So, when the local post office was held up by an armed robber, it was big news. The old woman who owned the shop decided to take things into her own hands, She scared off the attacker by hurling her chair at him, and he immediately fled the scene. She became something of a local hero, but despite the robbery being the talk of the town, the mystery attacker was never found. This week's stories are about everyday detectives taking matters into their own hands, because sometimes you only have yourself to rely on. In our first story, Charisse adopts a new persona in the hope of finding her stolen bike.
1: Quick warning, there's some gunshots and phony violence towards the end of this tale. This is a true story. It happened to a friend of a friend of mine. Me. My name is Charisse Sunkiller. And this is the story of the time I became a private detective. Kinda. It all started the day my bike got stolen. It was a sunny winter's day in Melbourne 2020. The city was in lockdown, the trees were bare of leaves, and I'd spent the last few months stuck inside with nothing to do. Restrictions had just eased a bit and we could visit other houses. So on this particular afternoon... I went to visit my friend Ellen, who lived just down the road in Brunswick. I cycled over, chained my bike to a pole, and went inside to have a cup of tea. When I came back, my bike was gone. So Dave, for the record, I just need you to confirm that my bike was indeed stolen last year. That I was at my friend Ellen's, and then I called you to come and get me.
2: Yes, all of that is true, although I think I offered to come get you.
1: That's true. I think I didn't have the presence of mind to say, can you come get me? I was just like, I'm sad, help.
2: And I said, stay where you are. I'm coming. I'm just (laughs) around the corner because I was literally just around the corner.
1: And how would you describe my state when you did arrive?
2: I think by that stage, you'd had some time to get over the shock of it all. But you were still processing how you could get the bike back immediately.
1: So I was different on the phone?
2: Oh, on the phone you were crying. Oh. There's nothing sadder than a a bike loop that used to have a bike on it or should have a bike on it. And you come out and there is no bike there. It looks very lonely.
1: felt helpless. I posted to social media, called the police, and even put my bike up on this website where you register stolen bikes. I did everything I can think of, and then I had nothing to distract myself from this real sense of grief. But the next morning, out of the blue, I got a Facebook message from someone I
0: didn't know. Hey, I saw your post about your bike in the Brunswick Good Karma Network on Facebook. Did it have like a coloured seat and a green colour to the body? I live opposite the Quality Hotel and there was a bike by the bins yesterday that kind of gave me a feeling like it shouldn't have been there. It's not there now, but I could check some of the bushes. Sly emoji. This, I hadn't expected. I thought,
1: wow, this is an actual lead. What if this is my bike? I thought about telling the police and then realised they probably wouldn't bother chasing it up. Or even if they did, they might be too slow. This was a chance to find my bike and I wasn't going to let it pass by. So... I decided... to investigate. I received an anonymous tip. The stolen bike had been seen by the trash cans of a local hotel. Just yesterday at around midday. Well, alright. The tip hadn't been anonymous. I think that makes it... anonymous. Anyway. Thing was, the seat was the wrong colour. Maybe the thief swapped it to obscure the identity, or maybe this was just a wild goose chase. Either way, I was going to have a look for myself, and maybe I was the goose. Well, I thought, rather a goose than a gosling. This would be the first case for me, a real and not at all made-up private detective character, with a name cold and smooth as a good whiskey on the rocks, and a personality just as intoxicating. The name? Stone. Chelsea Stone. The quality hotel seemed pretty shabby if you asked me, but nobody did. It was a gloomy place on a big main street with every curtain of every room drawn. I went inside and spoke to the receptionist and she said I could take a look around. She also said, the people staying there often had suspiciously nice bikes. Coincidence, or dink? It was all a matter of pronunciation. I checked the dumpster where the informant had seen my bike, but there was nothing there. Still, something seemed fishy about all this, and my diet already had enough Omega-3s, so I decided to poke around. That's when I saw it. The back of the hotel was like some kind of Graveyard. Parts were everywhere. Bicycle parts. These people were sick. I looked in every nook and cranberry, but found nothing. I took one last look at the quality hotel. Maybe my bike had been here, or maybe it was some other sorry Sally's ride that had been stolen. Either way, I was still one step behind, or two. Or maybe the thief was leading me on a waltz and I only knew the rumba. I returned to the scene of the crime, looking for answers. I looked at the pole where I'd locked up. No way anyone lifted a bike over a sign that big. And what was this at the base of the pole? Scorch marks if I had ever seen them. Well, I hadn't. They must have used an angle grinder. This was a professional job. Surely somebody would have seen something. And there, aha, City Watch Security's security cameras were pointing right this way. The postman was delivering a package just as I arrived at the door, so I slipped into the building at the same time as him. Not very secure for a security company. I talked to the staff, but they seemed hesitant, said I'd have to call tomorrow at 10 a.m. sharp, ask for Chris. It seemed I was done for the day, but a lot of things still didn't add up. What else did the receptionist know about the bike thieves that she wasn't letting on? And why was the security company so sus on giving me the footage? And why did seedless watermelons still sometimes have seeds? I had a lot of questions. So I went home to think about them. But it wasn't long before my peace and quiet got disturbed. Hello, this is Chelsea Stone.
3: Hi, I'm looking for Charisse on Killer.
1: Same diff, you're a speaking at her. Uh,
3: okay. Uh, my name's Gary. Uh, you registered your bank as stolen on my website. I think you might want
1: to check Gumtree. It's for sale, that weasel. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're not asking much for it either. Listen, I, I, I recognise this guy.
3: He's a proper crook, okay? You don't want to mess with him. The best he can do is pose as a buyer and then let the police know. Do not, do not go near him.
1: Oh, I'll message him right away. Thanks for the hot gas, Gary. It was true, all right. A crook by the name of Mike was out trying to sell my bike for peanuts. That no-good son of a mum. Well, I put out some fish food and waited. Hours passed and then a day, not so much as a teeny, tiny nibble. Refresh. Wait. Refresh. Wait. And then... There it was. Defeat staring me right in the face. Somebody bought my bike off Mike. I wasn't fast enough. After all this searching, only to lose it again. Despair seeped in like ink from a broken pen. I started the day like any other. Suspicious. Maybe the crook hadn't sold the bike and was just trying to throw me off the scent. Maybe Gary was in on it. Maybe tea made you more dehydrated rather than less. I made the call to the security company, but their cameras didn't have the right angle. So much for that avenue of inquiry. Time to change lanes. I knew a guy to go to if I wanted something found. He could trace anything, anywhere. He was the best of the best.
0: Hey, Sharice, How's it going? Shh.
1: Let's not say any names. I'm sending you some photographs. Can you tell me where they were taken? Oh, yeah. Just give me a minute. Within minutes, I had the exact location of where the gumtree photos of my stolen bike were taken. My bike was sold and maybe gone for good, but vengeance is bittersweet. And I really like a lemon-lime bitters, if you know what I mean. It was time to go outside the law. And even outside reality. It was easy enough to find the place... Because I had it marked in maps. It was a dark night, no stars. Perfect. The fence was about 15 feet tall. No problem, I jumped it easily. And the glow of a street light filtered into the typical suburban backyard. It had some sad kale growing and a back porch hung with broken fairy lights. But there, in the middle of the backyard, was my bike. Not a scratch on her. I rushed over to embrace her and suddenly the porch light turned on. It was a setup. Standing on the porch was a man tall, bald and stupid looking with a nose almost as big as his face. He was wearing a Canadian tuxedo covered in grease marks and he had a gun pointed right at me. Well, well, if it isn't the famous Chelsea Stone. Hello, Mike. You know, for all the grease on your hands, it's amazing you could be so light-fingered. You wanna watch what you say about my fingers, Missy? They may not be so light on this trigger. Before he got out the last word, I rolled across the lawn. He shot at me, but missed. I leapt up the stairs and knocked the gun from his hands. We fought then and there. My fierce determination to win back my bike versus his greedy guts. I tackled him to the ground, trying to keep him from that gun. I punched him square on the nose three times till he saw stars. Ow! I would have knocked him out except suddenly he shone a light in my face. A bike light. Eight hundred lumens straightened my retinas. By God, it hurt. I let him go to cover my face with my hands and Mike grabbed the gun. That's when he shot me. (laughs) Looks like Chelsea Stone's about to be stone cold in her grave. (laughs) (laughs) through my blurring eyes I saw him grab my bike and cycle north along high street I looked at the blood pooling around me I doubted I'd walk away from this but I'd take Mike down with me if it was the last thing that I did Uh... hello police A tall, bald man wearing denim is just about to cycle right past the Northcote police station. Armed and dangerous. He just... He just shot me. So, a couple of months later, I got a call from the police. They said they'd found my bike. So Dave, for the record, can you confirm that you received a call from me last year where I told you that my bike had been found?
2: I can't remember the phone call. Yep. I mm-hmm. can I can remember making plans and taking the trip up to Faulkner to go collect it.
1: Did you offer to drive me? I think this time I asked you.
2: I knew it was my sworn duty
1: <laughs>
2: to see this adventure through.
1: <laughs> After all that I'd been through. And then what happens? We we get to the police station. I'm excited. Yes. And then we talk to an officer and he just said, I'll go get your bike.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It didn't feel real. Mm. But then...
2: It was. It was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was your bike. It was my bike. It was <laughs> there.
2: <laughs> and you, I think you made a noise very similar to that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I probably did.
2: I, I remember him saying something like, oh, we found it. And yes, that person was a very naughty boy.
1: Yes. Yeah. But yeah, they were saying like that he he was wanted for a whole bunch of stuff like possession of firearms and things like that. Hmm. And that he'd been using my bike to get away from the police.
2: Getaway bike.
1: Yeah, it was a getaway bike. And then he said, it's a very fast bike.
2: <laughs> Which made you believe that they had chased this person down. I, like when he said that, I was like, was there some kind of chase? Yeah. Like on foot, on bike?
1: I, I don't even know. Yeah. And, and so I was like, that's amazing. But he said, it's a very fast bike. And I said, I know. <laughs> 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 um. Yeah. And then we tried to fit my bike into your Nissan Pulsar sedan.
2: And we were there for a good 20 minutes. Yeah,
1: we really tried.
2: And then in the end, you had to ride your bike home.
1: Yeah. And it was great.
2: (laughs) I was thinking, as I was driving home, I was thinking about, oh, it must feel so good to ride that bike.
1: Yeah, it did.
2: It it did.
1: (laughs) They were like flowers everywhere and it was just this beautiful sunny day and
2: Mm. yeah by that time it was evening it was magic hour Mm. and you got your bike back
1: yeah i got my bike back everything seemed right again although to be honest somewhere along the way while i was investigating the theft I stopped being so upset about it. It had been nice to have something exciting to do. I was going to miss her. Chelsea? What's the latest?
0: That story was produced by Sharice Sonkilla. Max Rowley and Mel Chun were the supervising producers. You're listening to All the Best. I'm Helena Baroni Peters. At All the Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays, and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pair you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. In our next story, Sam finds an unexpected item in his grandmother's casket and decides to investigate further.
3: It was the day before my grandma's funeral, and my sister and I went to the funeral home to say goodbye. There were some women who were really friendly and they sort of ushered us into the viewing room. She looked really peaceful and she was wearing her favourite dress, which looked really familiar. It had like blue and pink flowers on it. It was quite a moving moment. In the coffin there were some mementos of her life. There was a photo of her with our granddad, who died quite young. I was just sort of standing there, absorbed in the moment, I guess, and... My sister said that she thought she saw something in her grandma's hand. I knelt down and there was a note in her hand. Like it looked like it had been torn off out of a notebook. The handwriting felt quite rushed and it was a raggedy piece of paper and it just seemed not really fitting for like somebody's final moments on earth. It looked like she was clutching it. Her hand was in a slightly unnatural angle. It felt very staged in a way that was quite unsettling. My grandma didn't die clutching a piece of paper, right? So it just felt like something had been foisted upon her after she died. My sister and I, we kind of looked at each other and I was like, well, should I get it out? So I had to put my hand into the coffin, which is like not an orthodox thing to do when you're viewing your dead grandparent. But we wanted to know what the note said, so I reached in across my grandma and I pulled it out of her hand and I uncrumpled it and it said the Wow's protocol. The note felt very pregnant with meaning and I'd never heard of the Wows protocol. It sounded like Either a philosophy or a secret society something that you lived by and even in death it followed her and someone else from the Wells protocol, whatever that is like had put the note in her hand. You know, I didn't know who was observing us or like what was happening, who had been in this room previously, who was gonna be at the funeral the next day, like a bunch of Wells protocol adherence. It was very alarming, but also very intriguing. Like, I assumed that it had some wider meaning that we possibly were about to find out about. My grandma had been living alone for at least 25 years after our granddad died. I had the impression they had lived quite a rich life before my dad was born. I got the sense that they were enmeshed in lots of different communities it's like with your parents as you get older you realize that they also were young people once when i knew her she had quite a sedentary life not at all the sort of life of somebody who belonged to a secret society or at best like somebody who had long since retired from a secret society she watched a lot of tv a lot of british murder mysteries like midsummer murders she read a lot she loved charles dickens She went for little walks around the block. She looked forward to visits from my dad and from her grandchildren. I used to go and visit her quite a lot when I was studying. One day I thought it would be kind of cute to record her. I just wanted a record of her voice. She would talk quite openly about being old and having lived a full life.
1: I've had 90 years, pretty good. And uh, 90 years is enough for anyone. I mm. wonder what you'll be like when you're naughty.
3: <laughs> Probably cantankerous. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't. You'll
1: be as good as gold. Uh-huh.
3: I put the note back in my grandma's hand because I didn't know what to do with it. And so we were driving home to our parents and my sister was driving and I just googled on my phone like the Wows protocol. The first 20 things it brought up was a book. And it was a diet book, it was like a paleo diet by somebody called Dr. Wells. I was just like, what the fuck is going on? It was confusing because my grandma, as far as I know, had never subscribed to a diet. In fact, I would say the opposite is true. She just lived in the moment and she ate what she wanted. It almost felt slightly vindictive, like somebody had deliberately put this in her hand as a barbed gesture. It sort of felt like it was challenging, the way that she lived. I watched a video of Dr. Wells, and she was on this American breakfast show.
1: Now, we understand a little bit about paleo. Yes. um, But give me sort of the breakdowns of of what's involved in that. So we are eating the things that our body needs to repair and rebuild. A lot of healthy fat. We add a tremendous amount of greens, uh, cabbage family vegetables, deeply colored uh, vegetables and berries. That's amazing. Bacon kale salad is on the menu today. Let's get it. It smells so good in here.
3: Dr. Wells was demonstrating on this bench top that was just like covered in leafy greens like spinach and kale and like cavolo nero it's not the sort of stuff that i would typically see in my grandma's fridge i feel like food was like a big fixture of my grandma's life and it was something we really looked forward to going to her house she would buy scotch fillet steaks and she would fry them in butter and she would make her own feijoa ice cream She always did this thing, which is really sweet, which she would always say, like, go and look in that drawer. Like, I wonder if there's something in there. And it was just, like, a drawer of her, like, jewellery and stuff. But there would always be, like, some chocolate bars and sweets and lollies and things. And she'd sort of planted them there. But I know my mum did kind of have an issue with the amount of candy and sugar and stuff that my grandma gave us. We were driving home, and I was talking to my sister about how the handwriting seemed really familiar and our mum has really distinctive handwriting. In recent years, my parents had been really into paleo. Some dark thoughts kind of enter my head, you know, maybe it was some kind of parting shot or something. It seemed very out of character for my mum, but at the same time I couldn't get past the fact that it was her handwriting and it was clearly within her world and I'm like my mum's not a bad person but this is a bad person thing you know it was just that kind of dissonance of like trying to reckon with this thing that you think your mum did so we arrived at my parents house and mum was there and she was like how was it you know are you two doing okay okay I think I just, like, asked my mum straight up. She looked shocked. Not just shocked, like, she looked confused. She paused and thought for a while, and there were clearly, like, a few cogs kind of turning. And then there was sort of a moment of clarity.
0: The words on the piece of paper were so
1: unusual, I knew straight away what it was. My name is Allison, and I'm Sam's mother. And Vivian was my mother-in-law that I loved very, very dearly.
3: What had actually happened was my mum was doing all this work, arranging the funeral, while she was still holding down a full-time job, being a you know very overworked early childhood teacher. And one of the parents of the children was coming to get their kid, and she recommended this book, and my mum wrote it down on a bit of paper and put it in a bag and forgot about it.
1: Yes, and I put together a bag of little mementos in with a bag of clothes for the funeral people to dress Nana in and, and not realise that this piece of paper was in the bag as well. And they thought, oh, this is something really important to Vivian. we must put it on her hand. <laughs>
0: And I had to ring up the funeral home to say, look, that is a complete mistake. Can you please remove the piece of paper from her hands?
1: (laughs) I still laugh when I think about it now. It's so incongruous. It's the last thing in the world Nana would have been interested in knowing
0: about. The funny thing is, Nana would have laughed her head off if she had known what was going to happen. She would have thought it was hugely funny.
3: So that's how a scrap of paper with the name of a fad diet book which has presumably since gone out of fashion, ended up having pride of place in my grandma's casket.
0: That story was produced by Thomas Phillips. Danny Stewart was the supervising producer. Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past, present, and future. All the best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal Land, in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonurung lands, and 8 C, on Arunda and Waramungu lands. Our editorial manager is Mel Chun and our production manager is Danny Stewart. Matilda Fay and Emma Pham are our social media producers. Our web producer is Connor Hughes and Lydia Yosifova is our community and events coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the community radio network and were made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Helena Baroni peters Thanks for listening.